as we study this gold mine, that this portion of scripture, all the Proverbs, is like coming upon a great treasure trove. Can you imagine opening a room, a vault, and there are all matter of gold and diamonds and silver and jewels and gemstones and treasuries, tiaras, all kinds of things, just mind-boggling and dazzling. And which, which one do you look at? Which one do you pick up? Which one do you examine? And every verse in the book of Proverbs is a jewel. It's an absolute treasure. And so as Spurgeon would say, someone asked Charles Spurgeon, how do you uh, go about your preaching? It seems like being a pastor in the same place for so many years and preaching the same book that you would uh, reach a dry part, dry spell, or run out of things. And he said, run out of things. He said, the scriptures are an embarrassment of riches. That's how he described. And it's not what to, to preach on, it's what not to preach on, what to leave off, what not to teach. And so to make a study of the book of Proverbs may be one of the most problematic studies in the scripture in that what do you focus on? Every verse could be a lesson. Uh, every and because the verse is made up of couplets, each half of verse, the compare, the comparison, and the contrast, each one of those could be looked at in and of itself. And then there are sections of each chapter, and there are themes. And so, as we come to the second proverb, I want us to look at just these first five verses, because uh, it, it has a theme, a thought that uh, is important for all of us, to those outside of knowing the Lord and those who do know the Lord. And we would title it, if we just had to put a, a, a title on our study this morning, is Seeking the Lord. Oh, what an what a important thing. There's nothing more important that you could ever do in your life than to seek the Lord. First of all, we're commanded to do so. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And the scripture promises that all who seek him, he will be found of them. That, what a, a challenge that is, and what an, an open invitation from the Lord to seek me. The answer to every problem is the Lord, and being rightly related to him, and knowing and putting his principles into practice. And as we study this book, The Wisdom of God, it's not just enough to know these things. James said that kind of person is like looking in a mirror and walking off and forgetting what he saw. You may have looked in the mirror and saw that you had a big a piece of hair sticking up or a button missing, and you know, I need to take note of that. And then having that knowledge, but then walking away and not doing anything about it. That's most often the way we approach Scripture. We, there's a great tendency, in other words, to do that. See it, to know it, file it away, and then not do anything about it. Most believers, I'm afraid, are a repository of truth. And while that's a good thing, truth in a repository, just books in a library that nobody ever goes into or none of those books ever go out, that's not doing much good, is it? We all have books on our shelves that have not been visited uh, in a long time or ever. And, and so the scripture is to be not just known, but it is to transform us and to, to mold us into the image of the Son of God. And so we see here in these verses a loving father appealing to his son, to his heart and, his, and to his head, uh, his words of advice to seek the Lord early and to gain his wisdom and joy and fellowship and bypassing all the pain and the consequences of a life that's lived otherwise. There are choices here. And I think this father is seeing his son at a crossroads while he has been teaching him his faith he knows that this son must take this faith as his own. It must become real and experiential to him. It just can't be the faith of the father's holy faith. That's important, but that only goes as far as that father's faith. 
You see, the faith must become real and genuine to each individual and to each generation of believers. And so this is the, the heart cry and the desire of the father appealing to his son. Know the Lord. Find him. Seek him. And we see a repetitive statement and a conditional word here. If, if, if. And so with that in mind, let's begin reading there in verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear into wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of, the God, of God. And then verse 6, what a promise. For the Lord giveth wisdom. He gives wisdom. He is anxious to. He is the source of all wisdom, and he will give it to those who meet his conditions. This is not, uh, we're not look, coming to a safety deposit box where you have to have the right key and the combination and jump through all the hoops and sign papers and, and have uh, uh, permission to go into the bank and into the vault. That's not the case at all. These are freely open, and God wants to give them, but they must be sought. They must, there are conditions to it. We're not saying there, there are no, no conditions whatsoever, but they're easy conditions, if you will. They're attainable. Anyone can seek something. If, if I told you that I had hid, you know, a million dollars in your house, unknown to you, you could find it. I'm sure you could find it. If you had to take off the, the sheetrock off the walls and, and whatever, you could find a million dollars, I'm sure. You would do all you could do. It, w- it would be attainable. It would be something that you could attain. And so something far more important than that, the wisdom of God. He wants us. It's not as if it's something is hidden from us that he doesn't want us to have. It is that which he wants to give. And he asks us, the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. And that phrase refers to the word of God. All that the word of God you hold is what has come out of the Lord's mouth. So uh, we must not limit that to just the oral words that God gave to the patriarchs and to the prophets of old. The Lord giveth wisdom, and it, all this comes from his mouth. If thou Christ, if thou seekest, if thou searchest, if thou wilt receive, the condition is very plain. That simple little word, if, stands between us and our finding the Lord. God expressed his, his will to us in words. Our, our worship is word-based. We, all we know of God is revealed to us in his word. My words here are God's, not Solomon's words. You must, even though in the context a father is talking to his son, but it transcends that, and he's speaking the heavenly father's words to his son. After all, Solomon asked for God's wisdom. Do you remember when he came to the throne? God said, what would that, you, that I would give to you? And Solomon realized his great need to have the insight and the wisdom to lead the kingdom that, over which he'd been placed sovereign. And so he said, please give me wisdom. And the Lord did. Uh, he gave it for the asking. And the Bible tells us that, doesn't The New Testament says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. And so he gave us his word. So in a way we could say, and, and, and certainly we can say, you have the wisdom of God here available. No generation has had the word of God more available to them. We have the very word of God to us in so many various forms, uh, uh, technologically, you know, digitally, uh, 
over the radio, you could hear it read every night at WGIB. If you couldn't read yourself, you could hear it read. It just goes on and on, the, the various ways that we can access the Word of God. Uh, believers in the past did not always readily have the Word of God to them. Sometimes and often in the early church, we would say the only time they actually got the Word of God is when they met corporately where the word was given to them. They did not have personal copies of it for many, many years. And so what we take for granted was a rarity and a treasure. And yet when their pastor spoke and when the the word was read, it was the very word of God. God's message is always given to us in meaningful words. He does want us to understand. There are some difficult parts in the Bible. There's no denying that. After all, it is the mind of God, isn't it? This is not some popular writer, some uh, fictional writer, or some historical writer. It's much, much more than that. Though God does use words in different genres of, 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 of literature, and biography, and poetry, and history, and uh, all kinds of ways to, to parable, uh, and then doctrinal teaching to get us his word. It is, all, after all, the mind of, of the infinitely wise creator God revealed to us. Isn't it amazing that we see how God thinks, what he expects, how he contemplates, how he sizes up situations, what is the truth about matters? We often say we want to get to the bottom of things. We want to know the truth. The Bible always does that. It gets right to the heart of the matter, right to the bottom of, the, of every issue. But in it, he reveals to us facts about himself, who he is, what he is like, his purpose in creating all things, his purpose in creating us, the great perplexity of the unsaved man is, why am I here? Why was I left here? Why was I born at this particular time? And all those questions, God tells us in his word that he does this for his own good pleasure and for us to seek and find him in the day in which he has placed us here on earth. His purpose in creating us. The Bible tells us the great problem that man is in, the reason we have wars and uh, uh, the terrorism and all that's going on in, in our world today is the fall of man. It goes back to a direct result of the fall of man. Disease and, and heartache, all those things are, go back to the, the fall, that catastrophic event where man decided to take his own way and Satan's word above the word of God. His glorious plan of salvation revealed uh, throughout the scriptures and how we can find him and know him and be made right with him. You see, the greatest need of man is to be made right with God, be you reconciled to him. They don't know that. The unsaved person in various ways and forms where it might not be easy to put our hand on it, they're fighting their own private war with themselves and, and with uh, their issues, they say, and all kinds of things. And, and really, they need to be made right with God. When we're made right with him, then other things find their proper place. Our other relationships then can be made right. Our purpose for being here, our work, all those things, once we find and know the Lord, then we can know that whatsoever thing we do, is, whether we do it in word or deed, do it unto the Lord and do it heartily, that it has worth and value. And so every other issue of life finds its place once we're made right with the Lord. And I will repeat, your greatest need, my greatest need, is to be made reconcile with God. Why? Because we are at enmity with Him. We're at war with Him. We're born that way. No matter how sweet you may be and how, may, how com, com, uh, compliant you may seem, uh, how religious you may seem, apart from a work of grace in your heart, a redeeming work of grace, you are at war with God. That's uncategorically uh, uh, true of every person born. 
So all these things are given to us in his word in plain and understandable words. We have revealed to us here all that we need to know how to be saved, how to serve him and worship him and live our lives down here on earth in obedience to his will until he calls us home. God's message to man is not a mystery, though admittedly there are mysteries in the scriptures. God's message to man is not a mystery. Some approach this book as some mystery book, some uh, bound book that that is uh, open just to some intelligentsia. Now, we do say that that the true understanding of these uh, words here must be spiritually discerned. You can know the facts of the Scripture as you can any kind of uh, book or study of any kind of religion or philosophy. You could quote it and say it and know it and be able to explain uh, things and yet not know it experientially. You see, that's the key here, and that's exactly what the Father is trying to teach the Son here. Don't just know these things as facts, but know them experientially. Know them from the heart. And so we don't draw close to God by spending years in transcendental meditation. That's not how you get to know the Lord. Or by seeking out-of-the-body experiences, or uh, as the Gnostics would teach, some hidden wisdom that only some guru or teacher could give you if you jump through certain hoops or buy into certain programs. Or some ecstatic feelings, or even some uh, those who put religious experience to some uh, emotional height and state, and that's where you find true wisdom and, tr- and true peace with God. But that's, that's not what the Scripture teaches at all. His Word is not strange, or unknowable jargon, like so much psychology. You ever tried to read psychology books? Most of us who've gone to college probably took some psychology courses, and I'm sure you scratched your head just like I did. You, what? You, know, you read it and you read it. This guy's philosophy. This guy's philosophy. Are we really here? How do we know we're really here? You know, is this real? Is this reality? What's behind this desk? I know it's a desk here, but what's behind it? You know, and just goes on and on and on. And at the end of the day, you just say, this... That didn't even make sense. And, and the words that they use and the jargon they employ and they make up words in psychology and philosophy. And I, when I hear someone saying they're majoring in philosophy, I always, my first question is, why? <laughs> why would you want to do such a thing when you could, there's so many things. That you, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a knowledge of the different world philosophies, but can you imagine pursuing a major and trying to figure out what people wrote, just how they felt about things, and this is what they said is, is truth. But Solomon says here, listen, I'm going to tell you in plain and simple words about God and how to know him, how to find him. Isn't that what the gospel is all about? And that's what we're left here to do is to tell others how they can know him. The Bible is a logical message from God about our sin, our separation from him, the payment his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, made on our behalf, and the possibility of being saved from our sin that the, the, the there is a life after this life, that yes, this is not all there is to it. Others wondering, world religions and philosophies wonder about that. The Bible tells us right up front, no, this isn't all there is to it. There's, there's an accounting after this. What the philosophy and religions don't tell you, though, that, that very point. Yes, there is an afterlife, and it's a time of accounting before God, standing before him and giving an account. We're told what he can and will do to and through us if we yield our stubborn wills to his good and acceptable and perfect will. These truths are repeated over and over again through the Scripture. And as we study, especially through the Old Testament, and our study here through the book of Genesis, we see these same things things repeated over and over again. God's will, man's rejecting it, 
finally got man repenting, man coming under God's authority, then falling away and back and forth, back and forth. The struggle between man's will and God's will. These truths are repeated through us by example and by precept so that we are not without, we're not with, with excuse, are we? We have no excuse. We see here that we cannot find God just through research alone or through a test tube, or even through uh, the scientific examination of things. While all those things, I believe, will ultimately lead you to God, if you honestly look at the facts and the figures, research alone through human experience will not bring you to God, will not reconcile you to God. Just how people feel about it, people's searches, and uh, the, the data that they've come up with will not bring you to God. Uh, studying the various world's religions, which th- they will all tell you we're all just in our own simple way trying to get to God, and we believe all roads lead to God. And so that's what the world religions and philosophies will tell you if they acknowledge there's a God at all, is that you're okay as long as you know there's a God and accept that, and you're trying to get to Him and know Him and please Him, or maybe or yourself or whatever. In your own way, as you understand it, then don't worry about anything. That is the most tragic, uh, uh, damning philosophy. But that's the the most popular one, and it's the one that Satan uses and and people believe the most. I'm okay because I'm sincere, and I'm nice, and I'm good, and I'm from good people, and I wouldn't hurt anybody, and I just want to live a peaceful life and and do, you know, know God as I can know him or as I want him to be or I want to know him. It just seems so uh, simple and sweet and, and, and innocent, but it's not. That's a subtle lie from Satan that, quite frankly, though, the majority of people buy. And so is, 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 it is as we believe and respond to this truth that we don't find God just through research or various religions, but only through listening to his revealed word, hearing it, and saying, Lord, teach me, open my heart, help me to understand these things. If thou wilt receive what? A new philosophy? Someone's ideas? My son, if thou wilt receive my words, God's words, and that's why we always tell people, go to the Scriptures. What does the Scripture say? What does God say about it? Recently, uh, the son of an influential uh, Islamic Hamas leader was converted to Christianity. I read his testimony. And he was a 30-year-old man, and I, the name and all was given in the article. And he uh, was attending a, an evangelical church out in California. But he had been raised by these radical Islamic parents, and uh, adherents. And, but as a young boy he began to have questions about Islam, uh, the, the, the validity of it and the truthfulness of it. And when he was 18 years old, by this record, the testimony that I read, he was arrested by Israelis, and he was in jail under the Israeli administration, and Hamas had control of its members inside the jail. And he saw their torture of their own people and treating them horribly. And so some of these tortures uh, of our Hamas leaders today that you regularly see on, on, on TV, and he said they didn't torture him, but he saw them uh, putting needles under people's fingernails and, and burning their bodies, and, uh, they, and they killed many of them. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And that was the beginning, he said, of his eyes being open about the, the religion that he w- was following, Islam. And he began reading the Bible and studying the Word of God. And he studied the Bible verse by verse by his testimony. And he said, God, open my eyes. You hear the testimony. I studied the words of God. 
And he opened my eyes, my mind also, and I became a completely different person. So now I can do this study of openly declaring the one and true uh, God and Christianity. It was the biggest decision of my life. I left everything behind me. When you decide to convert to Christianity, he said, it's not just enough to say goodbye and to leave. You're saying goodbye to culture, civilization, tradition, society, family, religion, God, what you thought was God for so many years. It's not easy. It's very complicated, he writes. People think it's that easy, like it doesn't matter. Now I'm here in the United States, and I have my freedom, and it's great. But at the same time, nothing is like family, you know. But it was a duty from God to announce his name and to praise him around the world because my reward is going to be that he is going to do the same for me. I did it for, as a duty. I wonder how many people can do what I can do today. I had to be strong. That was very challenging. That was the most difficult decision in my life, and I didn't do it for fun. I didn't do it for anything from this world. I did it only for one reason. I believed in it. I pray for my family all the time. God opened their eyes, their minds, to come to Christ. Well, that was a testimony written by someone who read the words of God and sought him in his word. That is the power of the word of God. This book that you hold in your lap is like any, no other book on earth. It is the power of the gospel. And that's what Paul says when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the power of God into salvation. And that's what it means to seek the Lord in his word. Solomon calls God's word his commandments. There are several um, synonyms here for the word, the law of God, the precepts, the, the commandments of the Lord. These principles a command is not something that's optional. It's not what you think about, it, and if you feel good about it, then follow it. A command is simple that, simply that. It must be followed. There's something that, that uh, they we're bound to obey. His words carry the force of law for every human soul. This is the eternal judge, the eternal creator, and the judge of the universe who says, this is my law, this is my word, and we will ultimately be judged by how we react to, how we respond to, how... We dealt with God's word. There's no other resource. There's no other way of saving us. And we cannot take what we like and and work out some different way uh, on our own, as some erroneously believe. And so the teaching here is that God desires to be sought. He wants us to seek him. He will give us genuine wisdom, real wisdom, the skill to live life. He will give us the capacity to relate to him and to worship him and to pray and to understand his word and to know his guidance. God is ready. He's willing to give these skills to all who will listen to his word and to respond. We see there in verse 5, Then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is the picture of conversion, of salvation. Then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. One moment we're unsaved having no consciousness of God or or being unsure about who he is or what he's like, no relationship with him uh, other than being a creature created by him, at least on our part, no real relationship with him. And then at conversion, at that moment where the light, where heart and soul is illumined quietly in the heart, the mind is open, these things are perceived and seen, The soul bows to them. There's a change ever so quietly on the inside, within the inner man, that begins to dawn in that person's heart. 
And uh, the light flows throughout there. The, the light from God illumines all these things. Things are made, things are made plain and, and clear. And we experience His power, that conversion, our conversion. I experience His power in my life to find Him and to be full of mercy and kindness. And that's, that, that's what He is. That He's not just a judge, but He's a merciful judge who's made a way of salvation, whose loving kindness extends to us. And how gracious is He to show us these things and to show us the door of salvation. Yes, we're on a condemned planet that's headed for destruction. But there's a door. There's an escape. There's a way out. And He is it. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Savior. He is the door. By me, if any man will enter in, he shall be saved. And we come to that realization. And, and it uh, dawns on us. We use that phrase, don't we? It dawned on me. I saw myself. In every true conversion, you hear in some form that being made known. They may not continue the very second of the hour, but a person by, in their conversion will say, I began to see, I realized what I was like and, and who he was and that, I, that he was the Savior. And they begin to describe this process that the Lord wrought in their heart. Suddenly we understand why, why Christians stand in awe of him and love him. That while there is a holy and reverential fear, he is our loving father. And we are his children. And why they give their hearts and their lives and their bodies over to this gracious heavenly father. Before salvation, God is just a theory, a possibility. But after salvation, I appreciate his wisdom and his power and his care and his might. And him having changed uh, my character and my, my desires to know him. That's what it means to be converted, to be saved, to understand the fear of the Lord. Not just intellectually, but this understanding transforms us into obedient children of those who desire to be obedient to the Heavenly Father. But a question arises, and it's this. How does one come to this experience? If this seeking the Lord is describing conversion, how does one get there? How does somebody get to this place? What does it mean to believe in the Lord and to find Him? Solomon uses several terms here to paint a picture of it for us in this passage to show us the way. First of all, to believe is to receive God's word. Now, that language is very clear in the scripture, and it's used in the New Testament. We Most notably in the Gospel of John, I think of John chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And Solomon tells us in verse 1, if thou wilt receive my words. So we, we say there is a point where a person must take and rely on when you receive something, you're yielding to it. You're accepting it. You're uh, basing your own belief upon it. It's not just a theory. It becomes yours. It becomes personal where you're able to act upon it. There, for everyone who's ever flown on an airplane, there's a point where you cross that that gangplank, that threshold, and you get on that, that behemoth and you take your seat and you're, you're trusting yourself over to it. It's not just theory. You didn't read, just read the brochure or sit in an airport and think about what it would be to fly. You, you, you receive it. You understand? It becomes something that you're relying upon and have, have accepted not just intellectually now. You may sit outside in the airport parking lot and say, I believe those planes are everything they said they'd be and they're, they can take you to faraway places and they're safe and all, all the rest. But there must come a point where if you're going to experience that, uh, to receive it for yourself. So to believe, 
then, what, was, what does it mean when Paul told the Philippian jailers, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? He had to receive the truth about who Christ was. He tells us in verse 1, if thou wilt receive my words. Do you see the condition there? A person must rely and receive this. We often refer to it as receiving the gift of salvation. Receive is an operative word in the Hebrew, and it means to accept, to embrace, we, uh, we, which give, begins when a person listens to the right, uh, with the right attitude and an attitude of respect. It is not link, listening with prejudice or haughtiness. Uh, it denotes having a, an open heart and being teachable. Lord, I want to know. Have you gotten to the place, those of you who may be listening to me, you might say, I'm trying to find out what's the right way or if God is real and salvation is real. Have you gotten to the place where you're saying, Lord, show me these things. I want to know. I want to be taught. You may say, well, I don't believe. It. No, I'm not sure whether there is a God, and so I wouldn't, I'm not going to pray to him. But I would tell you it starts with at least an attitude of saying, I want to receive these things. You, you can never perceive these things without that attitude of, to receiving something, being uh, open and teachable in the heart and mind toward the things of the Lord. To receive something, you take it to yourself. You value it and you possess it. We, we, we use the word, we own it. That means we're, we're taking it as ours. We come humbly to this book and say, Lord, help me to see the message here. Open my eyes to understand we come saying, this is true. This is God's way. I am cut off from him. I am a sinner. This book shows me, yes, I am a sinner and a sinful rebel. It reveals my heart to me. You cannot read very far in the scripture without seeing yourself. And the Bible says that the word of God is alive and it's sharp and powerful like a two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder the joints and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God will show us things that we didn't even believe about ourselves or own up to or, or realize. The mighty God of heaven is giving us information about himself and how I may find him. This is the only way to come to God's Word. It must with a, uh, come with humility and a spirit of willingness to receive it. Listen to the voice of your Creator and one, the, the, the one day who will be your judge, and receive what he reveals to you about himself. This is not what man is revealing to you about God. This is what the creator is revealing to you about himself. Well, not only is this this element of receiving uh, and seeking the Lord and finding him, there's this element to, to believe is to make a lifelong commitment. Notice in verse 1, he says, Hide my commandments with thee. The word hide in the Hebrew means to hoard. And I'm sure the first thing that would come to mind is a negative thing. You've probably seen maybe a show about hoarders, or you may know someone, or you may we laugh about, I hoard these kind of things. My wife the other day was cleaning out the pantry. She said, well, if there's ever a shortage on keep ties in Birmingham, they can all come to us, and we'll have enough for everybody to use. You know what the little keep ties, the little things that you put on the, the wrappers and all, and, and I guess we felt like there might be a shortage on them one day, so we did our part to, to save them up. It's funny how there are little areas, you may have paper clips or something, maybe even bigger than that, uh, the, the little plastic bags that you shop at Walmart, you may have enough for all of us to use for the rest of our, our lives. I'm not sure, but 
the word hoard there means suggests memorizing God's word, to store it up, lay it up within our hearts and minds. But it literally means to make God's word yours forever. There's a point of crossing over where this word is my word. This is what I'm living by. This is what I'm depending my life on. This is what I'm resting my soul on. You see, Chris Lamb's eternal soul is resting on what? The eternal word of God. That's the most important thing in all the earth. God's salvation changes people for the whole of their remaining lives. And didn't say it makes us perfect immediately. Our standing is in heaven experientially doesn't catch up with that until we're glorified. But we're forever his. That song says his forever his. I'm his and he is mine. One of my, my favorite hymns. Some people have a foxhole experience. They get uh, plugged into a corner, a divorce or a job or maybe some tragic event, uh, uh, an accident. Something happens or they get a doctor's diagnosis and we call those foxhole experiences. And I'm not saying that a foxhole experience, that God cannot use something like that to get us right and put us on the right road. But if it's just that... You're backed into a corner, a Judas experience. Oh, I hate what I've done. I hate what I've become. And you, you go out in remorse. The Bible says Judas repented, but did not, didn't repent into salvation. Some people say, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, if you'll help this test to come back from the doctor where I'm cancer-free, or if you'll help my marriage to get back together, or if you'll give my job back or my reputation back, Lord, I will serve you and I'll go anywhere. You know, they make all kinds of deals. And, and, and maybe the Lord does. Maybe that cloud does pass over. And maybe the, the job is given back or another job or the, the, the doctor says, you know, we've got the wrong paperwork here or you're going to, we've got treatment. Whatever the situation is, the, the cloud races and, and also the experience just kind of flows away as well. And people wake up and they realize they really haven't kept up to that. Or there may be an emotional appeal in a service or a meeting or an event that's going on or a concert or something. And they just feel all caught up in it. And it lasts for a little while. But after that, you remember the parable of the seed? And after a while, it comes up and it blooms or blossoms. And then it just drives away because it's not rooted. It's not based upon anything but experience. We're not saying this conversion is not experiential. But it's not just an emotional feeling. And some tragedy where they turn to God for a time, making a promise. That's not receiving God's message. That's fear. And that's wanting the, the pain to be alleviated. And that's trying to use God and his gospel for our own means. And that's not conversion. God's purpose is to save people from time and eternity. And if we look at the conversions of the scripture, for example, the Apostle Paul. When you say the Damascus Road, that was a... That was a uh, an experience that he didn't call for. He was knocked down, if you will, and uh, he was had everything that he thought about. Everything had to be absolutely reevaluated. Himself, you're perse- I'm persecuting you, Lord. I thought I was serving you. Is that experience that I read that conversion about the Islamic young man who came? Everything he thought about God and himself had to be reevaluated. But, and while Paul, if we, we look at his conversion, there was growth, wasn't there? There had to be changes made and sanctification until he became the great apostle. But one thing we see about Paul is he feared that he would be a castaway and laid aside and, and not used by the Lord, but he never forsook the Lord. He never went back on that, did he? I mean, it became a lifelong experience that changed him that he never got away from. You see, salvation is something you take on and lay off, and then maybe today, and then you get it again. No, I'm not saying that, that, that the experience is always 
exactly what we should be. But a person who's truly converted becomes the Lord's. And they become in this relationship with him where they abide and continue and persevere. The Bible says a good man may fall, but what, what is the, the definition of someone who's truly converted? They get up. They come back to the Lord. And so God's purpose is to save us for time and eternity, not just to help us out for a few weeks or months. He's not an insurance policy just to help you through a bad time in your life. He's your creator who demands your heart, your love, and your soul. Believing God's message means I accept that my life is no longer mine. Isn't that what Jesus said? If any man will receive me, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me and deny himself every day and keep on daily following me, that my life will be totally changed by his power and that I desire him to to make me his servant and his child throughout life and eternity. I not only want to serve the Lord today, I want to serve him 10 million years from today. I want not only to be saved from the wrath that is to come in my own death and life here on earth, but but to be saved for the Lord eternally. We say, I want to be his now and forever. I'm surrendering my will in exchange for his, whatever it may be. If we come to the Lord in that that type of spirit, then God will surely forgive us and cleanse us and save us and make us his own. But a third thing is not only to receive and to make a lifelong commitment, hiding his commandments with us. A third thing we see here to believe is to give undivided attention to. Notice the next word there in verse 2. If thou wilt incline thine ear unto wisdom. Incline thine ear unto salvation, we could say. Uh, it means concentration, the opposite of zoning out. <laughs> the picture is a, of a dog with his ear standing up waiting for his uh, master to call him. Uh, or a person leaning forward near to catch every word of some important person. They won't, don't want to miss a thing. It is a careful and undivided attention to only one thing. Does the Lord have that in your life? I'm not meaning just in this lesson today, but is your are your spiritual ears tuned toward the frequency of heaven? Lord, speak now for thy servant heareth. Lord, whatever you say to me, I want to know. I, I want to hear your voice. I want to to know your will. I want to be yours and be guided and directed by you every day of my life. A godless person doesn't have that desire. The world around us presses us saying, come join with us. Be like us. Be conformed to us. That's what the world wants us to be. The clamor, the voices, the philosophy. And we're influenced by these things more than we would like to admit, aren't we? The world is ever near us and ever pressing us. And we have to daily separate and sort through all of that and cast down imaginations and high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That is a daily discipline of a child of God. We'll hear this philosophy. And for a moment, that unsaved part of us, that old man will say, what about that? Well, you know, that sounds, we lean not into our own understanding, but to him. And we have to cast down that. What does that mean? We put it under the light, under the scrutiny of God's word. And say, no, that doesn't hold water. That's not true. That's not, that's not right. And, and so uh, the clamor of voices around us uh, in the world and all that is the voice of the, uh, of the world around us uh, tries to draw us away. We will never grasp its message or feel its urgency if we give in and allow ourselves to be infatuated with all the things of this world. You see, the great enemy of the soul 
is the world, this world system, the world's way of looking at things and evaluating things and what it treasures and values, which is the absolute antithesis of what God treasures and values and says. Uh, the pursuit of selfish ambitions and possessions and so on, a life consumed with that will never hear the voice of God. We'll never have his direction and his peace. We will never find the Lord if we listen to him just for one week or the rest of, of the time we give ourselves over to the attractions and the temptations of a godless lifestyle. If you say, I have so many interests and I must pursue this one and that one and I'll get around to seeking the Lord one day, you'll never be converted. That's the great uh, procrastination lie that the, the devil tells people. Just pursue all this stuff right now. And I mean, you're young and viable, and you've got so much to experience. And you can come. There's plenty of time for all that. Well, that's the great lie of the wicked one. Who told you that? Where did that come from? Did when you were born with your birth certificate? Is there a guarantee of how many years you're going to live? Oh, you're going to live to. I was born December 23rd, 1957. I'm going to die uh, December 23rd, uh, 2057. Oh, I'm going to live 100 years. I've got 50 something, you know, I've got plenty of years to, to, to uh, seek the Lord. Nobody was given that kind of guarantee. How presumptuous that is to say, oh, I'll get around to it. I've got plenty of time. Do you? Thou fool, thou, your soul will be required of you, a man heard in the New Testament. This night, your soul will be required. Who knows it, whether or not this night your soul will be required? Could anyone tell me that you'll not stand before him to this, this night? Brother Lamb, that's so alarming. But I will tell you, we know that, that death is near. It's all around us, isn't it? If you say, I, I'll get it to it one day, what a lie. That's one of the, the favorite, Satan's favorite ploys that he uses. Solomon says, narrow it down. The and James tells us the double-minded man will receive nothing from the Lord. Only that one is that I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to find out this truth. I am going to know him savingly. Hang on to every word and shut everything else out and listen for all that you're worth. Every time you read the word or hear it preached, hang on every word. You must come to the place where you agree, I am what this word says about me. I'm lost. Apart from God, cut off from him with nothing uh, to, uh, to commend myself to him and his word tells me about my sinfulness, about life and eternity. I will listen only to God's message and his word. A fourth thing about believing is to yield and obey. Solomon says, look there in verse, uh, verse 2, not only are we to incline our ear into wisdom, but apply, apply our heart unto understanding. In the Hebrew, it has the connotation of stretching or bending. Our hearts are naturally stubborn and inflexible, and it, it, it must be bent in order to believe. It, it's, it's beyond the natural man to want to know these things. God must bend us. We must be pliable. We are born with rebellious and resistant minds and, and mindsets, a, a stiff-neckedness, the Scripture says, a stubborn will, and are ever fixed in our opinions about ourselves. Most people are convinced they're just as good as the next person, if not much better. And I dare you to say that there's something wrong with me, that I'm, I'm no more of a sinner than, than you are. And, that, you know, that, that, that uh, haughtiness that comes up within the heart. Who are you to tell me that I need to find the Lord and seek the Lord? We do not exactly say all I've ever thought and believed is wrong, and I now will yield myself. Uh, we don't easily say that, but we must come to the point where we side with God, the righteous judge, against ourselves. It's as if we get on the, 
the witness stand in heaven and say, yes, Chris Lamb is a dirty, rotten sinner. Everything that's said about him has been presented here today is true. And we side with the Lord against ourselves. To believe is to, to surrender our pride. Real belief is an humble attitude and shows great respect for the Lord. In the light of what the Bible reveals about us, uh, we, we're so small and insignificant compared to all of eternity and all that God is doing. And yet Solomon says, If thou criest after knowledge, throughout the Proverbs we find many small parables. They're, they're all the way through here. And they picture a child crying out to his parent for something that he needs. You see that over and over again. Uh, or a dependent person who asking for something from a superior, uh, superior or a senior. They desire something they can't get for themselves, and so they go to the one who, who can provide it. And, and we can't provide cleansing for ourselves. No one can cleanse his own heart. We might as well change the color of our skin or, or change who we are or to change our, how high tall we are is to change our heart. We cannot do that. We are in desperate need of what only the Savior can do. We must trust the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to save us. We have to believe our distance from Him. Your sins have separated between you and God, lifting up the voice, crying out to Him, and then we must desire salvation. You know what I found? That God has never saved anyone who didn't want to be saved. And so if you're wondering if you're a candidate for salvation this morning, I'd like to ask you a question. Do you desire to be saved? Do you desire to become under his authority and surrender your will to him and depend on him and receive him and allow him to have his entire will and way in your life? If you desire that, you're a candidate for salvation. There must be a desire there, his forgiveness, this cleansing, this new life that he offers and will give to us. He will certainly save you. As the heart panteth for the water brook, so panteth my soul after God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Are you like that? Then if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments, so that thou incline thine heart unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge, would you lift up your voice and ask the Lord to convert you? Lift up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord. May the Lord bless his word today. Lord, would you bless the lesson of how to seek and find the Lord. And may many come to Christ as Savior today. Oh, you're a Savior that is near, and you come near us now. You said this, to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Oh, make this clear to every heart, we pray in Jesus' name.